Hi, I'm John Rogers. I created the show Leverage and Road Transformers, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hi, everyone. You are listening to Genretainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com, and we're your hosts, Marks. And Chewie. And today we chat with the cast and crew of the TV series Neon Cornfield. Writer and director Steve Mara, actress Angela Plank, and actor Sam Fain tell us about their new show. Plus, a bonus interview with the stars of Sci-Fi's Being Human, Sam Huntington and Kristen Hager. And Neon Cornfield is a new 30-minute comedy TV series. The pilot is currently online for anyone to see. Now here's the synopsis. Facing foreclosure on their corn farm, a Midwest family finds newfound fortune by producing internet adult films in their empty barn. And now Neon Cornfield is Boogie Nights meets Green Acres and maintains an outrageous comedic feel in the vein of Weeds, Californication, Hun, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> Boogie Nights meets Green Acres. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, now this funny interview exposes the behind-the-scenes making of this new comedy, and there are many hilarious stories to tell. Plus, I got the chance to speak again with the cast members of Sci-Fi Channel's Being Human during a phone conference interview. This time I spoke to Sam Huntington, who plays Joss, and Kristen Hager, who plays Nora, and they tell us what to expect in the new season of this popular supernatural series about werewolves, vampires, and ghosts all living under the same roof. Now, what you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song from our web series, Reality On Demand. It's a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. Now, you can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now, let's get started with our first interview with the cast and crew of Neon Cornfield. You are listening to Entertainment. This is Marks and... And Julie. And today we're speaking with the cast and crew of the TV pilot Neon Cornfield. So could you all please introduce yourselves and tell about what your role is in this project? Hi everybody, I'm Steve Mara. I'm the writer-director of Neon Cornfield, the funniest <laughs> TV series in years. <laughs> Um, hi, everyone. My name is Angela Plank, and I play Ellen Barnett in Neon Cornfield, um, probably one of the most humorless characters in the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I promise if you stay tuned, she perks up. <laughs> a nice person, too. Right? Uh, and I am Sam Fain, and I play Justin Hammer, the uh, male lead porn star. A.K.A. the naked jogger. Yeah, the naked, <laughs> the naked, the naked jogger. jogger. That's me. So, so were you running just, like, trying to be extra graceful while doing the jogging scenes, you know, to compensate for the lack of support? <laughs> that was my first question when I saw that. That can't be comfortable. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things that you just, you just do, ultimately. I, I, when, when I first got out of the, the van for the shoot uh, and had to disrobe, there was that initial moment of, am I really doing this? <laughs> Followed by, yeah, of course. So just go do it. And, and that's, you know, that's kind of what it is. Because ultimately, you know, Justin's out there trying to work on his tan, and tan lines are no good in the porn industry. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, maybe you should have just been. I do have mercifully, I was not on set. <laughs> <laughs> but, um,. <laughs> But, you know, several of my friends were, and Steve, I'm sure, can tell it better, because what I understand is you guys didn't necessarily have permits to be shooting out on those roads, so you want to explain how it works? Are there any of the commissioners in Boone County going to hear this? <laughs> no. Not unless you tell them. <laughs> we, we shot those scenes in this really remote area of uh, just north of Indianapolis and just outside a little town called Whitestown. And I got I got a little nervous about a week before the shoot. I said, you know, we we can't have any like police running around and all that kind of stuff, so maybe I ought to get in front of the commissioners and just get you know permission to use these roads. And and things were going fine. There's like six commissioners, and I was explaining the show, and I didn't obviously mention what Sam would be doing on the street, <laughs> but I did mention we have production assistants that'll be on either end of the street. When we see a car, we stop. We just let the car go by, you know, so that there won't be any traffic problems. And sure enough, in the back, sitting in the back, being real quiet, this this Indiana sheriff stands up. <laughs> and, you know, he's a little overweight and, and his belt's squeaking and all this shit. <laughs> you know, when we do these big shows, we usually have a 
cop at either end of the street and regulate the traffic, uh, you know, so nobody gets hurt. And I turned back to the commissioners, and so the cop couldn't see me. I just waved my hand in front of my chest going, no, we don't need that. <laughs> we don't need that. And the commissioners go, oh, I don't think we need that shit, do we? So everybody signed off on it. We didn't have any police or any problems. <laughs> they had people, I think, on walkie-talkies, and any time a car came along, poor Sam had to run and hide in the cornfield. <laughs> I did. I had, to, I had to dive into a cornfield wearing only a sock and, and some shoes. <laughs> okay. Now, please tell me you at least had on some, like, bug spray and some sunblock. <laughs> oh, actually, it's so funny that you mentioned the sunblock because I didn't for the first, like, three hours of the day, and then finally somebody came up to me, oh. and they're like, you want some sunscreen? Oh, and I yeah. thought, oh, God, yeah, and I did. I, I was in a play at the time, and I, and I actually showed up to rehearsal for the play the night after we shot this. And I got there, and I just kind of was like, man, why am I itching? And I got home, and I took off my shirt, and I was just red as a lobster on my shoulders and back. And I thought, man, why didn't I think of that beforehand? <laughs> <laughs> Makeup crew had had uh, oh, sunblock and stuff. Yeah, no, I was. No I, one I could was going to well volunteer to apply it. <laughs> I had it on like sheets. It was just such a bright day that day. You know? Yeah, which was good for the season. Oh, it was great. Yeah. Sure, yeah. <laughs> okay, so. If people missed the synopsis about the show, like in the, or text, they're probably going, "What is this about? The porn star?" <laughs> that hooks so, them. Yeah. <laughs> so, can you explain what Neon Cornfield is about? Yeah, you want the TV guideline, the one-liner? Uh, sure. Uh, in in um, facing foreclosure on their corn farm, a Midwest family finds newfound fortune shooting internet pornography in their empty barn. Mm-hmm. That's really what the story is about, <laughs> and um, I think that uh, we, we in the pilot, you know, we catch the the family and everybody that's involved in it, you know, nine months, ten months down the road, they've already they've already been successful at it, and they've got the business in gear, and and Ellen, uh, Angela's character, you know, is straight up and down business. She's got the thing running, humming like great, humming like crazy. But she, <laughs> sorry. She never. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Uh, Angela got everything working great, but she hardly ever goes in the barn. You know, she didn't want to see it. She knows what's going on, but she doesn't want to see it. She just wants to, you know, cash the checks mm-hmm. or the PayPal payments. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now they have a teenage daughter, and it's not a big town. So how exactly are they? They think they're keeping this from their daughter, right? How do they think they're doing this? I'll let Angela answer that one. Yeah, you know, I think. I can honestly say having raised a teenage girl, I think that that is just one of the fantasies that all parents buy into, that their children are somehow less worldly wise um, than we wish they were. Um, You know, I think they somehow, Tom and Ellen have managed to convince themselves that as long as she doesn't come and confront them about it, she doesn't know. And, you know, what comes up at the dinner table doesn't exist. And so... um, I think that they're just choosing really to see their daughter in this one particular light, to see her as very young and innocent, you know, kind of like a teenager's closet. You don't really want to look in there. You know, you you may not really want to see what you might see. I think they don't ask her any questions and they don't probe too far in that direction because they really don't want to know whether she knows. They're more comfortable just assuming she doesn't. Mm -hmm. So, Steve, how did you come up with this concept about a farming family that turns to porn? Real life story. No, it's just <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, they, they told me at UCLA Film School, write what you know. <laughs> uh, no, actually, there is a story behind that. I, I was um, taking a weekend break and driving down to this place called West Baden, which is in southern Indiana, very nice, beautiful forest, and, and it's a state park and all that kind of stuff, you know, just to chill out. And, and you got to go through some of the worst, I think that like the poorest counties mm-hmm. in Indiana to get to this mm-hmm. yeah. wonderful casino spa, mm-hmm. and and I was I was driving along this country road and we went through this little town called Salem, and everybody was out on the street. I mean, old people, young people, they were all walking around. Saying, Why are these people hanging out in the middle of a Friday afternoon? Or don't they work or anything? What do these people do for jobs? And then we went, we went by some farms that were really dilapidated and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know what I don't know what happened. It just seemed to me, barn, uh, people not making money, internet. 
oh, they're all doing porn in their barn. That's what they're doing. <laughs> and I kept driving. I kept driving. And I go, damn, that's a great show idea. <laughs> so, the rest bolt, is history. A bolt from the blue. <laughs> a bolt from the blue. That's right. Literally happened on the way to uh, West Baden. Yeah, that really is. It's a beautiful area there, but it really is the poorest area. And it's unbelievable yeah, how poor yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, and they that, were thinking, you know, when they created that 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 area down there, uh, you know, the hotels existed, but they they refurbished them and everything. They were thinking that the gambling and the casino and the golf and all that stuff was going to rescue the mm-hmm. community. Well, it hasn't. No, because it's the French Lick area, which is yeah, a right, great exactly. name, you know. Uh, and that used to be a tourist area way back when, when people believed that those natural springs would cure every ill. Yeah, they right, right, yeah. Al Capone. Al Capone like, had a suite at the West Bay. Right. Yeah, they, yeah. They'd take the train from Chicago down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, now, and and... To be off, wouldn't that be a great name for the town? French Lick, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just said it, man. <laughs> I, I, I think you might, well, we'll have, might we'll have, have to fight our Tom take a vacation. Uh, <laughs> That's Justin the come, name of the yeah, town, yeah. Awesome. You'll be the floor show, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tom and Ella need some help in the bedroom. You know, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> Maybe a romantic weekend in French Lick. Right. Dr. Ordered. Okay, so you came up with the concept. So why did you decide to make it a TV show versus trying to put it together as a, as a film? Well, the, the more I kind of thought about storylines and stuff, the story arcs that started developing were, were I thought were really cool. I mean, there's so much tension that you can build between Tom and Ellen and their daughter, Sammy. Then there's all kinds of liaisons that can happen with the, the porn stars. Um, that's one of the reasons we... we did that ending, you know, where where we're bringing a uh, hopefully a new star on, onto the set, and it happens to be an Amish kid. Who's, <laughs> you know, go uh, who to thunk, right? <laughs> so when I came up with that, I said, man, there's all kinds of stories we can write about these people. So it just seemed like series was the way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now explain. Yeah. And the I Amish think, are hot right now. Amish I, mafia. Oh, and- <laughs> that is just the most horribly offensive thing I think I have ever seen. You know what? I, you know what I thought though when, when I was writing the scene is. Hey, money's money, you know. So <laughs> the economy's tough. So if this if this Amish father can get his kid employed, <laughs> make some big bucks, it's all about the money, you know. And and you see on the kid's face that he actually, you know, he's kind of up for this. Yeah, he's uh, into it. This he, new challenge. He's up for it, <laughs> Well, maybe he can. <laughs> <laughs> up for it twice. <laughs> maybe maybe he can find a loophole with a. Maybe he hasn't had his room spring yet, so maybe yeah. he can, you oh, know. This will be get, his room. There you go. Yeah, get that in. You know that yeah. so that's a loophole he could he could yeah. employ on your show. Yeah. I have to say, going back to the original question though, I think the reason that Steve made it into a TV series instead of a movie is because, you know, with this premise, there are just way too many dick jokes that you can put into a movie. <laughs> <laughs> if you put in a movie, you lose all those possibilities. And, and I, I genuinely think one of the things that kind of attracted me to it the first time that I read the script was, was the idea that. It's this wonderful jumping-off point for a story about community, mm-hmm. and I think that there's so much that can be said, in particular about the idea that we have this, you know, this family that's been struggling, and so they turn to something that most people would certainly look down on and be abhorred at, and never for a second want to actually attempt it, you know, just for the ramifications it could have socially, and and yet they go for it just because they need it as a means to survive. And and the wonderful thing is they do it to save their farm. And then the the other thing that I love that Steve's written into it is that it's not just about saving themselves. They're giving money to the church. They're giving money to the schools. They're giving, you know, they're 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 using this to help support their community. And I think that the wonderful thing about having it as a television series as opposed to a film is that it gives you an opportunity to really explore that community. And I think that uh, one of the things that excites me is not only as an actor that there are lots of places that Justin can go, you know, if it goes on, but there are also a lot of people that we probably haven't even seen yet, maybe not even heard about yet, that are going to end up playing a part in this at some point in the future just because, it, it, you know, it is kind of a small town, it is local, and there's no way that sooner or later everybody's not going to find out about what's going on in that barn. <laughs> yeah. Now, the, 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 the stuff oh, that can happen with the townspeople, I think, has got me salivating most. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was that behind your reasoning, or what was your reason for setting it in Indiana? Uh, boy, you know, it just seems right. Mm-hmm. Lots of corn, lots of small towns, and and unfortunately, there's there's some small thinking in Indiana. It's a very conservative state, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so for for a family to 
take the leap of this type of a business in a, uh, just on the outskirts of a small town in Indiana, to me it seemed like that was all, all the puzzle pieces fit. Yeah. You, you, you could do this in Boston, you know, but that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and I, I didn't have anything to do with Steve's decision, but, but like you saying, the truth is, you know, um, conflict creates drama. And so, you know, if you put, if you set those series in a place where there would very naturally be a lot of conflict between people's relatively conservative religious and political opinions and, you know, making porn, there's a lot more drama involved than, you know, Ms. Steve is right. If you set it in a suburb of Chicago even or outside of L.A. or wherever, you're not going to have that, that tension or that source of, of conflict and thus drama um, as you would setting it here, you know, where a community would, you know, if you asked them on Sunday morning, would be incredibly opposed to it, and yet, you know, on Saturday night, you might find quite sure. a few of them watching it on their laptop. Exactly. <laughs> I think the other interesting part of it is that it's the type of thing that, you know, sure, could have said it in Iowa, could have said it in Missouri or Nebraska or Idaho or any a number of states that, you know, have even some place like Illinois, which has a lot of farming, uh, you know, but but setting it near a big city or towards a big city, obviously the, the, the taboo kind of wears off a little bit. So. I think that that's one of the things that's nice. It makes it relatable to a lot of people, even though it's set in Indiana. And at the same time, you know, being from Indiana and living here now, there are a lot of very specific things that maybe we can add that, you know, an Indiana audience would appreciate and be interested in. It's, you know, I, I actually lived in Scranton for a while, and I remember when The Office first started airing, every time they would mention a little thing about Scranton, it made somebody like me go, oh, that's really cool, and yet that show could be set anywhere. It doesn't have to be set in Scranton, and I think that that's kind of a nice thing about something like Neon Cornfield that can be set in a small town in Indiana and be relatable no matter where you live, and yet there are those people that really know that small town Indiana that will be able to get a kick out of some of those smaller things. Right. You know what really sold me on it? What's that? It was when we did the mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it says Indiana's finest corn, and then some Halloween prankster came along and crossed out C and put P over it. When I saw the, when I saw the mailbox prop, I said, it's got to be in Indiana. It just sounds right. Indiana's corn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so now the TV pilot is currently available online to, to watch in Vimeo. And we do recommend it. So what's your strategy with, with the, have you filmed any other episodes? Are you marketing it I right now? I haven't filmed any. I've got six episodes in various script pieces. I've got storylines for all six, but I haven't scripted all six yet. Because, uh, you know, in, in, in the industry, in the TV industry, you've got to have this thing called a series Bible, which is basically the blueprint for the entire series. Mm -hmm. So in order to come up with that paperwork, I had to come up with stories. So I got like six storylines and synopsis for them and all the character backgrounds and the concept of the show and, you know, just to show a, a programming executive where this show can go. And that's all in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So the strategy is um, there's a big TV convention in Miami at the end of the month called NAPTI, National Association of Television Producers and Executives, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Sounds great. But it's got everybody under one roof, and plus it's in Miami, so what the hell? Might as well go down there and spend a couple of days. <laughs> but, um, we've got an attorney here that's helping us pitch, and I'm going to go down there and, and uh, you know snag some people for five minutes and give the pitch and see what happens. Well, great. Well, good luck. Yeah. I'm assuming this would be something on Showtime, HBO, something like that. Just with Amish Mafia. <laughs> I mean, that's our target. Um, Discovery our at night. Broadcasters, because, you know, we can keep the language fun and we can keep the scenes fun. Because if we go to the next tier, uh, would be like FX. We could still get away with a lot of stuff on FX. But, you know, I, I, we're, we're pitching to Showtime and HBO. And, and believe it or not, Netflix is one of my big targets. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, because they're looking at original programming and they've got a lot of money. That's true. Um, so you hear that Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> Netflix are coming for you. Yeah, I know who you are, programming executive. <laughs> I don't want to mention her by name. I might freak her out. <laughs> You're gonna show up, and they're gonna hand you a restraining yeah, order. Yeah, right. They're the lawsuit. Uh, now, how much research went into this? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Well, I was a teenage boy once, so. <laughs> years of research on this. You know, I lived in L.A. for 12 years. That's good research. Um, I don't know. It's just it's it's just so much 
imagination. You know, my, my grandparents lived on a farm, so I visited a farm a lot. And I knew what going in the barn was, and, and you know, you could take the neighborhood girls in the barn, and, <laughs> you know, the rest is uh, dinner. Um, so uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't, I'm not sure I got a good answer for that one. Just years <laughs> of living was my research. Now, but I'll you... tell you, one of the greatest things about the, the young, youngness of this show was when we did our table read with everybody. We had so much fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, try this. Oh, try. Oh, no, try this. Try this. Try this. And Sam came in to do his reading. And one of the things that totally sold me on Sam, he does the whole thing, you know, where he's he's fluffing himself <laughs> in front of Tom. Mm -hmm. And at the end of his dialogue, he takes his right hand and puts it on, his, <laughs> on Tom's shoulder. It's, just, it's money in the bank, Tom. <laughs> And and the actor Bill Simmons just gave him this look like, oh, I am soiled for life. <laughs> How did you use your right hand? As soon as Sam did that, I knew he was our guy. <laughs> so the, I mean, we've had so much fun doing this thing, and and everybody's just done 110 percent. I I just can't wait until we can go on with with other episodes. There, there is a slim chance that we could raise money and make it an internet show. You know, mm. that's always a possibility, but we got to raise more money in order to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Now letting you off hook for a minute, you mentioned Sam. If Sam and Angela could talk a little bit, well, we've given a brief overview about who the characters are. If there's anything you all would like to to explain and talk a little bit about your characters. Um. Yeah. This is Angela. Um. You know, I think I suspect um, that a lot of women who who watch the pilot or the subsequent episodes might be able to identify with Ellen, not in terms of producing pornography, obviously, but, you know, just in terms of, I think a lot of women, especially these days, feel the weight of um, picking up the slack of being providers for their family. I mean, things are not as they once were, for better and worse. Um, you know, and I think that um, Ellen is not one to sit around and do a lot of hand-wringing, um, you know, like a lot of parents, she looks at the situation and thinks, i got to find a way to provide for my kid. And I, you know, and she gets to a point where she almost really doesn't care how it gets done as long as it, as long as it gets done. Um, so, you know, it's really interesting to play somebody coming from, from that attitude. I would say I'm much more of a worrywart than I, think, than I think Ellen is. I mean, she's definitely more a woman of action. Um, and I don't think that she spends a lot of uh, time laying in bed awake at night wondering how it's all going to turn out. I think she's just like you know, the farm is solvent, and that's all she really, you know, the farm is solvent, and her daughter is unaware, she thinks, and that's that's all she really cares about at the time, for the time being. Not that she's an uncaring person, but I think she felt like their backs were against a wall, and she took action. Uh -huh. um, and I just, I think that's something that a lot of women these days can relate to. I think everybody feels economic pressures from time to time, but, you know, it's, it can be a particular stress for women because if they take too much action, like in the case of Tom and Ellen, then, you know, their husband or their partner can tend to feel emasculated by that, and I think that does create problems in Tom and Ellen's relationship. So I think there are a lot of women out there who have kind of have to walk that fine line, and I hope ultimately find Ellen relatable. And I will say, too, for the record, even though he's not here, the, the guy who plays um, Tom in, in uh, Neon Cornfield is my friend Bill Simmons, and it just it worked out really beautifully because in real life, Bill and I have been friends for, I hesitate to say, but I think it's coming up on, on 20 years, and we actually get cast as husband and wife quite a bit. Um, and so it was really nice um, after all this time to be able to, to play on-screen wife with him because the two of us have, I think, a really... We have a very real connection in real life, and I think that that translates to screen and stage. Mm -hmm. You know, in in fact, you know, we get mad at each other in real life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I was all of that plays the joking around and the getting mad at each other. It's all it's all there in the subtext of what you see us doing in the pilot. I've not seen them in bed together yet, though. <laughs> <laughs> you have seen as much as there has ever been. <laughs> As much of us in bed together as have as ever been is all on the screen yeah. in the young cornfield. <laughs> in fact, in fact, I want to say that scene where Ellen flashes Tom. I talked to Steve about in advance, and I was like, "Look, Bill and I have been friends for 20 years, and we have managed to go this entire time without seeing each other's junk. And I really, <laughs> I really don't want to like, you know, ruin that now." So Steve very graciously got me a, a body double, and I like to say that. Yep. Got me a body double from yep. Hooters for that scene. From Hooters. <laughs> <laughs>
I, on the other hand, have known Bill for a uh, much shorter amount of time, and he's already seen me naked. <laughs> um, <laughs> multiple takes. Yeah, multiple takes. And sometimes that sock just doesn't stay on, no matter how much you want it to. Um, you know, the interesting thing about Justin, uh, this is Sam Fain, by the way, I play Justin Hammer, and when I initially read the script, I thought it was funny, you know, I got a kick out of it, but I didn't necessarily know where he was coming from or, you know, who he was. One of the things that Steve did tell me early on is that he was a local boy. You know, he's not a porn star. He's not coming from L.A. with, the, you know, the rest of these people. Like, you know, Maya's character, Bambi, is, you know, she's a porn star. She's done porn. That's what she's done. The director, the producer, they've all done this before. A lot of the other actors have done it before. Justin, he's a local guy, and he just happens to be very well endowed and gets brought into this world. And that, for me, as an actor, was just a wonderful jumping on point because, you know, there's there's obviously that fish out of water vibe, but where we were when the pilot started, I felt like that had already happened, and now he'd embraced it. You know, Justin was so into what he was doing, and and so happy with the fact that he was employed and making money, and you know, it's good for his self-image and 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 all of those sorts of things. I, I think it was even more uh, reinforcement when when Steve and I discussed the fact that he probably came from a really crappy childhood, you know, broken home, didn't have any kind of stability growing up. And now all of a sudden he's got all sorts of stability. And I think that that's the, you know, that's the other thing that's just kind of amazing about the story in general is the idea that we have, you know, these characters that, that are searching for something, that are looking for something, and they go to this extreme and all of a sudden they're kind of starting to find it. And, and the question of how that affects their lives in the long term is the beauty of the pilot in general. There's this great there's this great movie from the mid '90s called Beautiful Girls. Timothy Hutton's in it, Matt Dillon, uh, Uma Thurman, Natalie Portman. She's 13 years old. She's brilliant. But anyway, one of the things that I love about that movie is is the the not only the sense of community, but the sense that a lot of these people are kind of looking for a way out or looking for a means to an end. And I think that that's very true of Neon Cornfield. There are a lot of us that are you know just looking for a means to an end. And Justin's means to his end is this job. And I think he embraces it. It's fun, and he goes full bore. He's not the brightest bulb, you know, he's, uh, no. he's not, yeah, yeah. Um, he's, he's not the, the archetype by any means, but he's been able to find this, this niche, and, and he's, you know, been appreciated in a way that he's never been before, and I think that's kind of the thing for him, he's always just trying to be like, hey, 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 I can do this, I can do this, and, you know, and just show everyone his commitment, which is one of the reasons why he does go up to Tom, touching himself, <laughs> and, 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 and not, <laughs> worried about it, you know, because it's like, I got a job to do, and, and I think that's the other interesting thing for me, uh, in the beginning, the relationship with uh, the other characters, and Tom in particular, there's very nearly a, you know, I think Justin sees him as a paternal figure in a lot of ways, and and I don't know, there's something very interesting about that to me, and, and I look forward to the chance to explore that uh, even more, you know, as an actor, I think there's a lot of places that Justin can go, and and, and, and with the other characters in particular, there's, you know, a lot of nice little seeds have been planted for the relationships that can grow out of that and some of the crazy situations that I'm sure <laughs> exist in Steve's head. There's a uh, hardware store owner in town in uh, a future episode, and, and Justin goes to get some hardware, <laughs> chains and this kind of stuff. He's basically running an errand for the production team. And he, he's not called a one-trick pony, He's called a one-trick horse, if that helps any in describing how Justin Hammer is well endowed. <laughs> Which I think is something else for the future that also provides something really interesting is the fact that I think that's something that he'll probably want to fight against eventually. You know, sure. Justin won't want to just be that one-trick pony, you know. He'll, he'll, want, to be, he'll want to be James Dean, mm -hmm. either one, really. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's an adult film star, and he calls himself James Dean, and the yeah. funny thing is that I recently read that he's going to be in like a mainstream movie and it's a very big deal. And when I read that, I thought to myself, really? That's just interesting. That's totally something Justin would want to do. That's right? <laughs> true. Now we've already talked about a few funny incidents on set. Do you guys have any other funny stories on set you'd like to share? No, it's very serious, I'm sure. I'm sure it's very serious, yes. You know, I, do, I have to say, <laughs> one of the last scenes we were shooting, it was uh, the scenes a lot of the scenes out in the barn, so there's a lot of the porn stuff going on, and it's the scene where Ellen comes and, like, interrupts, Tom, interrupts Tom's reverie to say, you know, he needs to drive her to the airport, and <laughs> this is not to knock anybody else, but we took a break for lunch during that day, and I have to say, 
Um, quite a few of the characters who were doing the porn scenes elected not to, like, put on additional wardrobes for their <laughs> lunch break. <laughs> and so some of us, those of us who were fully clothed were sort of sitting around fairly awkwardly <laughs> with other people who were still in their outfits from the, from the porn scenes, and we were all sitting on these, like, wooden benches, and I was thinking, geez, I don't know, I would put, I would put some additional clothes on if I were you, but, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it was all good. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite moment, and I kind of feel bad for sharing this because he's not here to actually defend himself, but <laughs> favorite moment from the set was a moment between uh, Rich and Maya. Rich plays the sheriff, Maya plays Bambi, and there's that, there's that moment where uh, Rich's character is supposed to fart. And Rich lets Maya know that there was a time when he could actually do that on cue. <laughs> Maya didn't really believe him. And I'm standing off to the side, and I'm just thinking this is kind of funny that he would even say that. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're getting ready for the shot. And Steve yells action. And sure enough, Rich just decides to let one go. <laughs> and, poor, and poor Maya is trying to just stay with it. But it was so unexpected that he can't. And, you know, of course, we got to yell cut and reset it and everything. But... <laughs> I, I, to this, I mean, that's something I don't think I'll ever forget, you know, just Rich just kind of standing there saying, I can do this, and then five minutes later, he does it, and oh, the look on Maya's face was just, oh, yeah, because it was, it was, at first it was pure disgust, you know, she just had this face, are you kidding me, and then she just couldn't help but laugh, because it was so absurd that he just did that right in the middle of the, of the shot. Yeah, yeah. That's great. He's, he's method. He's method. Another, and then another, another, you know, thing that is unique to my experience with certainly all of the adventures I had with uh, trying to clothe certain parts of my body because initially I was given a, a cup, basically, <laughs> to figure out how to fasten this onto myself in a manner that, A, it wouldn't fall off and, and like B, a, would be comfortable. A drinking cup? Like, no, like kind of like an athletic support <laughs> cup almost. <laughs> It's a, it was a very interesting piece. It was gross. It was gross. It was. It was. It, it, okay. They basically, I didn't know they did this, but I guess they make these things for male models and uh, male dancers that they can put in their pants to enhance the look of their package. Huh. And that's what, they, that's what they got me. The thing is, is, of course, when those guys use them, they're wearing, you know, like a thong or a bikini brief or something like that, and I, I wasn't afforded that luxury. So there was no way to really put this thing on. And it wasn't, and I say this in all modesty, it wasn't really big enough to cover anything anyway. <laughs> so eventually I ended, up, I ended up crafting of my own design uh, a sock that uh, was on occasion very cooperative and on other occasions not so cooperative, which is one of the reasons why Bill Simmons has indeed seen my full Monty. <laughs> and uh, Bill, yes, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> he did tell me. I talked to him that night when he got home. When Bill got home, I talked to him on the phone. Oh, no. He said he was on his second martini. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after he needed it. Advice. Actually, I can tell a little bit of a story on Sam, and this is, uh -oh. this is not while we were shooting, but immediately before we started shooting, I was over here reading something with Steve, and I think he got a text or a phone call or something from oh, Sam no. because – Sam had been to um, get some uh, a spray on tan or spray yeah, some, spray tan. get a spray get a spray tan. tan so that it would look like he'd been out in the sun. And I guess to get his spray tan, he'd worn this really skimpy thong uh, thing that Steve had procured for him. <laughs> and all I know, well, you can tell the rest of the story, Steve. He gets this text from Sam wondering. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I I knew the the person that ran the spray tan joint, so I. I I sort of went in the day before, a couple of days before, and I said, listen, Angela, I got a really unusual request. I got this actor coming in. We need to spray his entire body, but I can't have any tan lines. So you think your, your people can handle that? And she's the one that suggested the thong because that way the girl can kind of just pick up the thong away from the skin and spray underneath it and then kind of just move over to other real estate as she needs to. So I guess it worked out okay, but I, I did get a very interesting look from the from the girl at Lover's Lane when I bought the phone. <laughs> First of all, the, this this girl in Lover's Lane was uh, a fa had a face only her mother could like. Oh no! <laughs> and here she's selling this this the sex stuff, you know. And I, I I had a couple questions about that, but I didn't bring them up. Anyway, so I bring this nice black thong up to her, and it's you know it says on the on the thing you know men's thong and stuff. And she looked at me. 
as if I was going to wear it. And I go, oh, no, no, it's for a friend of mine. <laughs> oh, no, no, I couldn't have said that. Oh, no, no, <laughs> it's for later today. No, I didn't mean that. So, so Sam wears the thing to go get his spray tan, and then after he was done, he texted Steve to say, does Steve want the song back? <laughs> <laughs> All I knew about it is I was in the middle of reading something with Steve, and I hear I hear Steve say, "Ah, uh, no." I was speechless. You can keep the song. I do not want it back. Yeah. Uh, still in my van, actually. Um, <laughs> it keeps it handy. No, I think the best part about that particular thing for me is I was horribly embarrassed about the whole thing. I'm like, I, you know, I, I'm honestly I'm one of those guys who figures if I'm going to get a tan, it's because I'm out in the sun for a while. I'm not going to go to a tanning bed. I'm not going to get sprayed on any of that. So I was kind of like, all right, I'll go do this thing. And I went in, and uh, there, I mean, she had to have been all like, you know, 22 years old. <laughs> she was hot. She, oh, she was gorgeous. Ooh. This cute, you know, blonde girl. She, she's like, yeah, yeah, come back into the room. You'll do this. You'll do that. You'll do this. I'm thinking, okay, 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 fine. I just robe and standing there in this like shower stall, basically just waiting for her to come in. She opens the door, and just as a reflex, I put my hands in front of myself, <laughs> and she started to laugh, and she stops. She goes, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't laugh. And I just looked at her, and I said, no, what you just did is probably the best thing that could have happened right now because it's ridiculous. What's happening right now is the most absurd thing that I've ever done, so spray away. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that, was, that was how that, that went down. <laughs> now, you have a great cast. Are all the actors from Indiana? All of them except Maya. Mm-hmm. Maya's from Chicago. Maya okay. Boudreaux, the girl, the girl that plays Bambi. Um, she's Chicago. Everybody else is local. Uh, you know, theater people mostly. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they've all been in shows together. You know, that's. I think that's one of the reasons that it all works so well. Is these 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 people know each other really well, and they work together really well. Good. Okay. We we were very efficient on set. It's incredible to me. You know, two or three takes, we're done. Move on. Yeah, the chemistry was very good. It, it really, I mean, it wasn't a hard sell at all that people were related or had known each other their whole lives in this small town because everyone really, I mean, it really seemed like it. Well, that's, that's good to know. Hopefully that it, it's portrayed that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, Angela and Sam, I think you talked a little bit about what sold you onto the, on this pilot. But uh, what? how did you get involved? Was this an open casting call that you answered or was networking? Yeah, kind of networking, really, actually. I uh, I auditioned for a play, um, and no more than an hour after the audition, Bill Simmons had been sitting in on the audition, actually, and uh, he called me about an hour after the audition and said, you know, you should go and read this. It's, in, you know, uh, it's a pilot that we're shooting on I'm in it, and uh, he put me in touch with Steve, and two days later I was in the office doing the read, and 15 minutes after I did the read, Steve was like, join us and I said okay you know that's that was kind of how it worked for me and um you know like Steve was saying a lot of us have worked together and Bill and I actually the show that I auditioned for that day ended up being in that show together as well so Bill and I were working together you know a lot for those couple of months between the pilot and working on the play and um yeah I don't know where I was going with that but yeah that's basically how I, how I got involved <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a similar story for me. I'm not sure from Steve's end, but I, I have the sense that probably one or two people recommended um, me to Steve. Yeah. I, I actually I was unaware of the project, but again, a woman that I was doing a play with um, this past summer um, knew about it, and I think that she recommended um, told Steve to get in touch with me. And I had worked with obviously I had worked with Bill many many times before, and with Rich, who plays the sheriff. And so that I mean, it's kind of interesting that Steve and I never worked together before mm-hmm. this project because. Um, so many of our professional connections overlap, but I think it was just a question of, you know, several people saying to him, oh, you know, you maybe should talk to Angela Frank about this. So there were a couple of readings, and um, I don't know. That was it. That was it. Yeah, I mean, it was very good. it's very good casting. You all did a great job. And I know Sam listened to your explanation about how uh, Justin Hammer is like kind of this guy who's, you know, he, he's not really in his element, but he tries really hard, and he's trying to please, he's trying to be, like, the good guy for his friend, and kind of, you know, please everybody, and trying really hard, take that the wrong way, but, you know, and try really hard, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, it, it kind of explains why you're you're watching it, and he is funny, but you're also kind of rooting for him, because you're kind of like, he's a nice guy, you know, you, you hope it goes well for him. <laughs> oh, thanks, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I he, like he could very easily be creepy, but he's not. <laughs> right, yeah, totally. I could totally see that. You're right. He could be totally creepy. Um, I'm glad that he's not. 
Is there anything else you guys would like to add? Watch the show. Yeah, watch yeah. the show. Support the show. Can, can you, you tell our listeners how they can find your show? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> there's a website called Vimeo, which is kind of like YouTube, but it's a little higher quality. And if you go to the uh, adrenalinemotionpictures.com website, our production company's website, it's the first thing you see. If you click on the, on the graphic, it takes you right to the pilot. Hi, my name is Crystal Lowe from Primeval New World, and you are listening to Genre Tainment. Thank you to Steve Mara, Angela Plank, and Sam Fain for agreeing to chat with us, and we wish them luck on getting backing for the series. Now let's go to our bonus interview with two of the cast members of Sci-Fi Channel's Being Human. Warning, if you haven't seen episode one of season three, which just aired, there may be a few spoilers in this interview. Consider yourself warned. But you never thought that you were the lucky one. We could still be wolves. Is there a way back? We all have problems and we're still here. My idea of date night was not digging up four corpses, okay? Being human. Uh, what happened in season one? Okay, uh, basically, Sam and I, it was just us searching for, for Sally and, and Aiden the whole time. So it was great to just, we worked, you know, we like we started off with a bang. We were in like every day, all day, which was a great way to start the season. And also, like right away in episode one, these new, like one specific character, the witch is introduced and like the new supernatural elements of that. And so it just brought this whole new, like fantastic exciting energy to the season, which was such a great way to, to, you know, get back into things. I just remember digging a bunch of people up. I, honestly, I look back, I look back at F1, I'm like, we dug a lot of holes, dug a lot of <laughs> dead people up. Well, you know, what's cool about Josh as a character is he's, he's, whether or not he's a werewolf, he's a really layered guy. Uh, he's a really dynamic character. So, you know, the, the werewolf thing certainly is, uh, adds a, 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 a you know, a huge, uh, other layer, but uh, but the character itself is really rich. So for me, you know, it doesn't it doesn't change much other than feeling slightly like uh, like I'm on the outside, <laughs> you know, uh, looking in. Um, I've taken uh, your place. Feeling... Well, yeah, exactly, Kristen is now taking my place, and she's making it known, by the way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I, I um. I, I, it's, as I was, you know, as I was playing it, I, you know, the character is 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 it becomes increasingly more and more uh, feeling like he's left out, and and uh, and I was oddly feeling the same way as an actor, you know, I, I um, <laughs> all these, uh, you know, my my wonderful co-stars get to do this this fun stuff, and now I'm I'm, you know, looking in through the window like the ghost of the ghost of Christmas past. To be honest, though, I do now sympathize more with Megan uh, in the first two seasons, you know, with, with her um, being a ghost, you know, not being able to touch anyone, not even all the restrictions that were on her. I kind of felt similarly uh, once uh, once I got cured of my werewolfism. Um, so I, I definitely felt Megan Rath, the, the, the Megan Rath's pain, for sure. I think that, like, this season we've really gone back to what worked so well in season one with the... Uh, the roommates and, and keeping keeping everyone's storylines connected and, and that camaraderie between everyone and, and the writers did a fantastic job this season of bringing that back so I think everyone's been really excited about that because we always have the most fun on set when when we're all there together and I, it was a, you know it was kind of a it was a goal for the writers to put us all back together because it was it's their favorite thing to write too I think as well um, you know it's light and it's fun and you know we all work pretty well together so we have so much fun on set, and I really do, like, this is one of my favorite jobs I've, I've ever had, so I, I don't even mind, like, the long hours, you know? <laughs> She's the best, too. Having her on set is so much fun. She's, I, I always want more of Kristen. And, like, whenever we're like, <laughs> like, even in, in, in previous seasons, like, when when uh, when I watch an episode and she's not in it, right. like, it'll take me a second to be like, what is something <laughs> You missed me. I missed you. (laughs) More of Kristen Hager is a good thing, always. (laughs) Uh, I feel like 
Like, season three definitely starts with, like, a year and a half after season two ended, so Josh and Nora have, a, have had a lot of time, just two of them, and, and a lot of time to work on their relationship. So season three definitely sees Josh and Nora in a much better place than they've been uh, in any of the seasons thus far. And I feel like they're, I don't know, I feel like we'll see just much more of a, like a, I don't know, like a, like a real... <laughs> You know, very, very human problems that they'll that they'll have to deal with day to day in their relationship this season, which is which is nice. Yeah, I mean, there's still like you know, we 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 uh, we went to some really dark places in season two, and uh, and it's not that we don't go to dramatic places in season three. We do, but I, I think that a lot of them are are more grounded and relatable. Uh, and uh, and I think that that's something that people are going to really enjoy. Uh, there's a lot more levity this year simply because all of us are back together again, if you will. The band is back together, and uh, and and that was not only fun to shoot, but I think it really is going to come across, you know, uh, as being fun to watch. I hope. Um, and uh, and so I think that's you know it's our best season yet. I think we all agree it's our best season yet. I really hope. Yeah, that. I agree. Just like it, there's, yeah, it, there's just so many like new characters and 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 like an, an exciting energy that not that it wasn't there before, but just like a very new newness and yeah. freshness to the yeah. season this year. Be, Sally, like Josh and I have been living, Josh and Nora rather have been living there by themselves for a year and a half. So, so obviously their their goal has been to bring back Sally and Aiden. But then once Sally and Aiden get back, that you know then. Then we all sort of figure out how to live with each other, and and I, I feel that well, what the audience will soon come to see is that like Aiden and Nora have the hardest time with that dynamic because you know we had we had our moments in season two where we butted heads, um, and so that carried over into season three. So we'll definitely have to put it to put I think it lightly. It's safe to say that there'll be a few conflicting moments between Nora and Aiden. Uh, this season, you know, we find out, you know, how, you know, I, I went off, she ran, went off and ran with the wolves. You find out what, where she went, what happened and, and all the consequences from that really, really bubble up to the surface uh, in season three. Which is, which is cool in my opinion, because a lot of times, you know, when you, when you have like a fantasy based show, it's so easy to gloss over the, the, the things, the things that the, the, that the characters do and the, you know, the negative things, you know, it, it, it's, it's easy just to, to forget about them. So I was really, really happy that the writers were like, no, 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 these people are definitely going to pay for what they did. Yeah. Um, Which, and, uh, exactly. it's really cool. It's really, really cool. And Which, they, and they, and they did a wonderful job um, with, you know, really ramping up the danger and, and the, you know, tension and everything. So, and which adds to, you know, again, the whole humanity of, of the show. We talk over and over again about how, yes, they're supernatural, but these are human beings. And, and the way that we deal with all of these situations on the show is, like, how would uh, how would any of you deal with it? How would any human deal with it? And so, again, like, that's such a great aspect to the show is that everyone has to pay for, for what they what they do. I had a, a new character that, that Nora definitely... Uh, has a very interesting relationship with this whole season. Uh, Xander Berkeley, he, he plays Liam, uh, the purebred twins, Connor and Brent from last season. It's their father, and he comes back. In episode two, he arrives, and, he, and he's looking for answers because he hasn't seen or heard from his children in, in over a year. Uh, and so, so yeah, I have a very, uh, very like I said, interesting storyline with him. And and he was great to work with. Fantastic bad guy, you know, really good at his job, knew what he was doing. Um, and, yeah, great. we had some great scenes together. Well, it obviously takes a lot of CGI and special effects makeup to turn you guys into werewolves. Can you talk about the process you have to go through in a transformation sequence, how long it may take makeup-wise and the stages you have to go through for one of those really, like, longer sequences where they show you in different stages of transformation? It's crazy, man. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. Uh, depending on like you know, okay, so so you're you're talking about the really excruciating ones, right? You're yes. talking about the ones that are really the sons of bitches. Um, <laughs> so, uh, 
it's you know it depends on you know the, so there's different applications there's the you know the chest yeah, like pieces there's four there's four stages of the werewolf okay yeah yeah and uh and, and yeah there, the chest you have your chest piece you have your back piece which those are the, those are the real beasts if you will those are the real real toughies because they take the longest to apply and then you have to paint them in and uh and then there's a face application have you ever had that Kristen? i haven't it's, had a face no it sucks <laughs> um, it's, uh, yeah, uh, it's not super fun. Uh, and you know, so, and so that's the whole thing. And then you have your hands, which believe it or not, like the, just the claws, they're the easiest to apply, but they're perhaps the most annoying, um, oh, they are, to get off. yeah, you can't, it's hard to get them off, but then also like peeing is tough. Uh, oh, eating yeah. is really hard. So like there's like just the just the makeup is a real bitch and it also like when you put it all on like the the it, it takes I mean it, it takes six seven hours like when you put it all on in stages it's, uh, wow it's it's pretty intense um, wow. and then beyond that once you get into it you have to perform perform in it uh, and and it's it's not just performing it's screaming and wailing and straining and you know, acting like you're in the most physical pain of your life. And, and, uh, and so that unto itself is exhausting. And, 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 but the good news is the makeup is so uncomfortable uh, that you, it's really hard not to be aware of it. Uh, so it actually helps kind of get you there. <laughs> um, so I guess that's good. Uh, but anyway, um, it's still a great job. It's the best job. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, I'll always say, I'll always say, like, as an actor, like, as you're, like, when you're a young person, you dream of being an actor in, in, in TV and movies. You're not like, you're not saying, oh, I want, I really want to play uh, an accountant. You know, you're like, yeah. I want to play a friggin' superhero, or I want to play a monster, or I want to play all, you know, anything that's visceral and fun and you know, interesting. So I feel like we're really lucky to have these jobs. Mother's dead. They're all dead. Josh isn't the werewolf. We're bringing Sally back. It's getting out of control. Hi, I'm George Strayton, screenwriter of Hercules and Xena Warrior Princess, and you're listening to Genretainment. Thanks to Sci-Fi Channel for the chance to speak to the cast members of Being Human, and we look forward to seeing what they have in store for us for Season 3. So that's it for today's Genretainment. Check back next week with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Including the cast and crew of the web series Standard Action and the weird western series Western X. And don't forget about the other great shows on this channel, like Ian Cullen's SFP Now, which typically airs on Fridays, and Jeff Trek on Saturdays. Plus, we have a new show premiering next Sunday called The Roundtable, where various hosts from the channel team up with a few special guests to discuss hot topics in our favorite genres. In the first episode, it will be Julie and I joined by SFP Now host Ian Collin and two guests uh, as we discuss long-running sci-fi franchises and what we think of the direction they have taken over the years. Mm -hmm. And we'll be joined by Doug Drexler, a visual effects artist, designer, and Academy Award-winning makeup artist, who's worked on various Star Trek TV shows and on Battlestar Galactica. And we'll be joined by Jason Brazier, the director of the two web series, one of them Drifter, Broken Road, and the other Stage Fright. Genretainment will be back right here on this channel at scifipulseradio.com next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific. And don't forget, you can also search the archives to hear any of our past episodes. Until, Until next, next time. time.